cuddled it to himself and gave it a name. He called it Rod. I didn't mean to kill, only to frighten one man. He wanted to say that, but he was not able to say it because they were beating him and shouting at him and dragging him off. There was a guard, the sergeant, his father and Joe Mangan, the bad man that threw the shovel at him and blamed him for cycling over his wet concrete and destroying it. It was not him that cycled over it. It was Joe Mangan's own son, Podge, but they blamed him. No matter what was done wrong, they blamed him. And there was no one to stand up for him because his mother was dead. They said she was dead, but she wasn't. They buried her alive, suffocated her. They brought him up flights of stone stairs and into a cold room to show her lying on a slab with no colour in her cheeks and no breath. It was snowing outside. It was the snow that made her white and made the world white. She was not dead. They only told him that so as to trick him because he was her pet. They were jealous. They were. They put her in a coffin and buried her. He stole out at night and went and talked to her and she talked back. He crept out through the window and ran across the fields to the grave at the edge of the lake. He was a cross-country runner and had won a medal for it. He scraped the earth back and made a hole where he could talk down to his mother and where she could hear. She promised to come back and save him when she was less tired. His plan was that he would run away until then, live in the forest and eat nuts and berries, and in the winter go from house to house to beg for food. He would give himself a secret name, Quiltia, the name of the forests. The first time he spent nearly a night there, he was dead, scared, and dead, excited. There were spots before his eyes and shimmers, different colors. He got on his hands and knees and broke sticks, building a sentence around the totem words. God hates me. Father hates me. I am hated. In the wood that night he saw things no one else saw, not Joe Mangan's sons, not anybody's sons. Only him. He climbed into a tree and hid. A fox, a she-fox, let out a sound that scared him. It was like a woman having her throat slit, only worse. The vixen was calling for her mate, her husband. She was in a bad way, and so were the pheasants that were letting out cluck-cluck sounds to warn each other of the danger. He heard a badger barking and he ducked well into the branches because he knew a man that a badger bit, and the man said it was worse than any dog bite. He swore then to live in the wood, to make a log cabin up in the trees with a floor and chairs and a rope ladder leading up to it. He and his mother would live there away from his father and everyone else. While he was thinking it, a princess floated by, flying, she was wearing a long white coat and had very long hair down to her ankles. She was carrying slippers. His mother was still in the house, his father attacking her with a poker. She shouted at him to run out, to run off to the woods, and she stayed behind to take the blows. He'd got one blow. There was blood at the side of his mouth that had run down from his ear and he put a fob of a pine branch on it to stop it. The thing was to keep awake no matter what. There were noises and there was silence. The louder the silence, the scarier the noise to come.
A cock pheasant was warning all the other pheasants of an imminent attack. He was waiting for his mother to come, but he was afraid she might be dead. There was a full moon and it was walking across the sky and in places the light spilt onto the ground where there were no trees. That was called a glade. He knew that from school. When his mother came, he was fast asleep. Mike, Mike, Mike. He wouldn't let on he heard her and wouldn't let on when he came awake. She lifted him down and tweaked his nose and said, Sleepy head, sleepy head. One of her front teeth was gone and she didn't look nearly as nice. He put his finger into the hole and felt the damp of the blood and tasted it and it was warm. His mother and he were not two people, only one. I saw a beautiful lady. Go on. She was on her way to her wedding. How'd you know? She had silver slippers. His mother carried him back to Glebe House, through the scrub and the moon was a lamp to show the way. She said he was a brave boy to stay all alone in the forest and not scream like that silly vixen. She said he was a true son of the forest. Next day he wrote that in the front of his copybook at school. I am a true son of the forest. They jeered at him, called him a liar, a bluffer, said that he'd run scared from his own shadow. He that had to have his mammy walking him to school and waiting for him out in the cloakroom and sometimes having to sit at the back of the classroom because of him bawling. A mammy's boy, a patsy, a pandy, a sissy and a ninny. Soon after that they had to leave Glebe House and went to live in a cottage far from the woods. His father and the guard and the sergeant and his sister Aileen and Joe Mangan and Mrs. Joe Mangan are all in the court and the judge is sitting at a big brown desk higher up. The sergeant is telling the judge the terrible thing he'd done. The German man is on the other side nodding about the terrible thing he'd done. His sister Aileen is beside him holding his hand. His nose is streaming and his eyes and he has no hanky. The sergeant is describing how he stole a bicycle from the doctor's shed, then rode it over the wet cement that Joe Mangan had just put down and did it on purpose, and then rode and got the groceries for his sister and left them on the windowsill and ran off in search of an empty house where he could find a gun. The sergeant got very wound up when he came to the bit about breaking into the German man's house and finding the shotgun and the belt of cartridges and then painted the picture of him creeping back towards his own house, hiding in a ditch at the end of the garden, and waiting for the opportunity to shoot. The sergeant told how he himself and the boy's father were behind that very door that had been shot at and were lucky to be still alive. There was more and more about his aggressive behaviour from a very young age, from the innocence of stealing apples to the non-innocence, the evil, the knowing evil of stealing a gun. He was listening to it all, but he was not allowed to speak. He had not cycled over wet cement. Another boy did that. Joe Mangan's son Podge did that, but he got the blame, and they called him dirty names at the time, and told him what they would do to him. They would carry him off to the Shannon and drown him, and he'd never be found. He ran to his own house to tell his sister that, but she wouldn't let him in because she had a friend of hers there, and she was ashamed of him. When he asked for a glass of orange, she poured it and put it out on the windowsill and told him to drink it there. That was when he ran away, because no one wanted him, and no one believed him. 
and he had no friend. When the judge gave the sentence, he didn't understand it. A detention centre. What did that mean? The judge's voice was very low, but his face was very red. The sergeant thanked the judge, and they trooped out. His sister told him outside the court that he was going to be going away to St. Malachy's, and it was lucky that there was a vacancy, as it was a very nice place. He cried and screamed and ran down the street, but they caught him in the car park and lugged him back. If ever you try to escape, I'll hunt you down like a dog till I find you, Sergeant Wiley said to him. And there was hate in his eyes and in his spit. His sister said that it was only for a little while and that it was a nice place and had a swimming pool, just like a holiday camp. He would be let home at Christmas and he could write letters, so he mustn't cry. I didn't mean to kill, only to frighten one man. She told him to shush it or they'd murder him for thinking such a thing. And anyhow, they had to hurry home to start washing and ironing and packing his things. She borrowed a suitcase from Mrs. Joe Mangan. When they arrived there, he wouldn't get out of the motor car but clung to his granny's knee. She was the one nicest to him, along with his mother and his sister. The car drove past iron gates into a yard with big, high walls. The sergeant sat in front and he in the back, refusing to get out because the place was not a holiday camp, but a big, dark, creepy castle. His granny kept telling him to be a good boy and do as he was told and walk in there like a man. The sergeant lugged him out by the ear and led him past a whole lot of boys, boys his own age and boys younger and boys older, gawking and jeering. The sergeant passed him over to Brother Finbar, and Brother Finbar took him in and shut the door and bolted it. Brother Finbar had a long brown robe on him and a pair of rosary beads that swung in and out. They walked fast with...